Good evening, this is Peter Hammond in the studio for Salt and Light on Radio Tigerberg. And with me in the studio tonight is Jonathan Waters, an economist and an historian from Zimbabwe, lives in Harare. Welcome, Jonathan. Thank you, Peter. So we had you on talking about the Kariba 60-year Diamond Jubilee, phenomenal mm. industrial uh, achievement, engineering achievements, uh, cheap energy, renewable energy, mm. and what that did for growth. But... It was intriguing just talking afterwards, which has led to this invitation mm. here, about the economies of the old Central uh, African Federation and uh, what became Northern, what, how Northern Rhodesia became Zambia and Southern Rhodesia became Rhodesia, later Zimbabwe mm. and Nasaland became Malawi. So out of the old Central African Federation, how the economies have risen and fallen uh, in contrast and sometimes, and many people have found it amazing example can you help us to understand uh, where the situation is now what happened to the old federation and and how we've gotten to the very interesting mm -hmm. economic challenges we're facing today Sure. Well, I think like if you just look at the two capital cities, I mean, they um, Lusaka was never the, the prettiest uh, city in the world. Okay, and uh, Harare always had you know a much more attractive setting and wider streets. Uh, but if you look at if you look at the two capitals today, anybody who had been to Lusaka twenty years ago would find it almost unrecognizable, and anybody who'd been to Harare twenty years ago would find it quite tatty and run down. Um, quite potholed, uh, municipal water is, a, is an issue. Um, the daily demand is something like a billion liters and um, Lake Chivero uh, can only pump 600 million of which two thirds get lost because of broken pipes along the way. So no, municipal water is an issue. We know about the power issues here in Southern Africa. I'm not gonna go into that again. Um, and well, apparently, South Africa has power failures. Harare occasionally gets electricity. <laughs> yeah, well, we, 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 when the big crisis was on last year, we were getting power cuts that started at uh, at five in the morning and went through to midnight. So we'd get five hours of power a day, and that power was generally um, said to have been coming from South Africa. But if you look at those figures in this uh, book you've just shown me, um, Zimbabwe's um, power demand is, is some somewhere in the region of a thousand megawatts now. Now that's less than it was in 1964. Um, significantly less and less than it was probably in 1960. You know, as and the that's Federation, loss of industry, and loss so of industry, etc. Now, if you so so that's Harare. Okay, um, it's uh, the infrastructure has been under pressure because of uh, you know an absolute lack of of investment, um, and uh, you know if we just look at the last. Um, sort of 20 years there, as I say, uh, from 2000 when we had the farm invasions through to the height of hyperinflation, which was in the beginning of 2009. That was a particularly bleak period. People call that the lost decade. From 2009... And that was when you could have a $100 trillion note that couldn't buy a half a loaf of bread. Correct. From 2009 through to, um, to uh, 2013, we had what's called the unity government um, of the MDC and Zoni PF. And then when the uh, when that came to an end in July 2013, Zoni PF has been in power again since. So from about 2009 to 2013, we, we had the use of, um, well, through to about 2016, we were using US dollars. And there was price stability. It took a while for people to actually work out um, what prices should be and margins should be 100% in US dollar terms. But we had a period of, of incredible stability, um, low inflation, et cetera, et cetera. Since um, 2016, when we had what I call the disequilibrium, we used to be one US dollar 
equaled what they called one bond note. And I don't know. Which was a note printed in Zimbabwe, but meant to be equal to the US dollar. Correct. Um, But what happened was there was um, too much uh, creation of electronic money within the system. So we ended up having a disequilibrium. And this is like uh, one of the early laws of economics, Gresham's law. Bad money chases out good. So all the US dollars disappeared, and we ended up with this stack of, uh, of, uh, of bond notes, and inflation started taking off again. In, um, in February of last year, 2019, the government announced that uh, it was going to delink the two, even though, and at that, by that stage, the, uh, on the black market, it was about three um, bond notes to one US dollar. And then um, in June of last year, they announced that they were going to introduce an auction system. And that started with the rate at 1 to 2.5. At present, as I speak, we're at 82. So we've gone from 2.5 to 82 since June last year, officially, and from about 3 to about 120 unofficially. Now, does that qualify for the word hyperinflation yet? We are back there again. Um, hyperinflation uh, is um, is when your goods are when your prices are advancing by one hundred percent year on year. So that's your Zim scenario, which plays out in the capital. Now, if you take Lusaka for example, probably the first major shopping mall that looked very much like you have one here in South Africa was Mandahill, and that came on stream in the late nineteen nineties, followed by arcades. Lusaka, as I say, is almost unrecognizable. It is, it is, it's got malls throughout it on every link road that comes into town. Um, the traffic uh, situation became out of control, and Lusaka was designed to accommodate 150,000 people. Well, they estimate there's about three and a half million now. So the the roads were clogged with traffic, a little bit like you see in sort of Lagos, etc. But this prosperity, what actually happened as a result of that is the prosperity started because the, there was no overall plan for expansion of Lusaka. Um, it started decentralizing on its own with all, with these all little shopping malls going out to the east, the west, the north, the central south. Central business district. Yeah, the central north. business district just started to move. And I mean, these malls are dominated by South African brands. Usually the anchor ten- tenant is ShopRite. Uh, or pick and pay, and um, uh, and you know all the brands are there. You know pretty much, and you know the Spurs are there. The uh, everything you can find mug in the shopping mall, mug and bean. Yeah, you know, there's no, there's no like, there are a few sort of homegrown sort of Zambian um, industries. And over the last five years, even if you had been to Lusaka in 2010, and then you looked at it now. Um, the government has been spending a lot of money on roads, okay? I mean, an e- extraordinary amount of money on roads. It's an election next year, and so there's been another push on um, for this this road-building thing, and it has been a good thing for Lusaka. But unfortunately, what's happened, of course, is it's made the external debt rise significantly, and only a week ago or so, Zambia defaulted on its um, international debt. Does that mean anything to the person in the village? No. But what has happened over this year, which has been disturbing to business, is that the exchange rate, um, which was reasonably static for a while, has moved from 14 kwacha uh, on the dollar to 20 kwacha. And that's been in the, in the past year alone. So it was actually stronger than the rand at the beginning of this year. And now it's weaker than the rand. Not by a lot. But um, it's significant, it's, it's, it's significant for, for people doing business because that's... You know, businesses like investing in stable environments. At the same time, too, since 2000, 
um, copper demand, uh, copper production has um, gone up exponentially, and um, largely because of the investment by First Quantum in a town called Sowezi in, in western in Western Zambia. But all those old um, uh, mines that people know about in Mufalera and Luantia. Some um, have uh, Indian owners, um, some have Chinese owners, um, but they, 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 you, you see the copper trucks moving on the roads. Uh, yeah. Oh, is the railway back up and running again in Zambia? Well, Zambia railways, it's, it's, uh, it's one of those concession railway lines, but they don't move what they should. Um, on on the rail uh, because that's where it was built originally uh, under the federation. Correct. Most things travelled by rail, and the roads were less clogged. Mm. But it seems as with the failure of railway, failure the roads of railway. have gotten seriously clogged. And we found ourselves stuck behind eighteen-wheeler trucks, masses of them. Correct. But I think we, uh, you know, like, and you see those trucks have been moving through Zimbabwe for a long time because they, there's they're not allowed to go over the wall at Kariba, but. Most of the trucks come across at uh, at Churundu, and they either go down to Baira or they come through to uh, Durban. Um, but in the last, and we should see the opening of this this month, which is the bridge between Botswana and Zambia at Kazangula. That's now, incredible. I remember going along Kazangula Ferry so many times. Yeah. And just kind of an anecdote of how things have gone. The first time we went across the Kazangula uh, Ferry, I get there and... Uh, uh, I asked the man how much for the ferry, and he says 50 rand. That was 50 rand. Now, of course, I'm talking about 1980s, mm. mate. 50 rand is a lot of money mm. back then. And I said, I'll need a receipt. So he said, 20 rand without a receipt, <laughs> which just showed the kind of endemic corruption mm. that was there right there, that mm. they were overcharging, but if mm. there wasn't a receipt and so on mm. and so forth. Uh, but uh, getting into Zambia back mm. in the 80s, have to go through 36 mm, roadblocks to mm. get from Cousin Ferry through to Chapata and these roadblocks are full of corruption they wanted bribes they would steal your mm. things and under Coinda the, the UNIP one party state it, there was nothing available in the shops mm. it, the rate was ridiculous you'd needed thousands of kwacha to buy anything mm. and the, the whole so, so you'd book mm. with these massive packs of, so Zambia looked to me like a wrecked economy and you go to Zambia today and it's, wow, mm, what mm. a spectacular reversal of fortunes. Whereas Rhodesia, what later became Zimbabwe, used to be the place with everything. Mm. And it's, it's The Zambians used to come Zamb across and shop. Yes, and mm. now Zimbabweans mm. have to go to Zambia to shop. Well, they don't really. They, they tend to go to um, South Africa. I mean, oh, I'd like Botswana. going to Zambia, you know. But I mean, um, I just want to go back to that bridge because it might be something that your listeners actually follow up. I mean, it is the most incredible looking bridge. And this was in, in to, um, when they first started discussing it to replace the ferry. This was between uh, around 2007, 2008. And unfortunately, the Zimbabweans were being belligerent um, and um, as a result of that, they said, well, you guys aren't paying for the bridge. It was actually built by South Koreans, and it's in a big curve that actually goes around Zimbabwe and misses them out. So this 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 bridge, where Zimbabwe probably would have been getting 25% of the revenues, they're getting nothing now. Now, just to remind listeners, it's the one place in Africa where four countries meet. Correct. Namibia, Zimbabwe, Botswana, yeah, and, and Zambia, Zambia, and yeah. it all meets at a... An imagined point in the middle of the exactly. river. Exactly. Um, so, 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 so that's why, as I say, it's an incredible, and, and it should be opening this month. I mean, if anybody goes online and look, because they were conducting road tests, so that should actually take a lot of traffic off the roads in Zimbabwe. Uh, copper trucks and put them onto Botswana roads. <laughs> 
So I don't know how much the Botswana are going to like that, but, um, but there'll be a lot more move. traffic going going over that bridge. The amount of times we've used Cousin Gulu Ferry, the idea of going across the bridge, it's like the Shusheki Bridge, mm. uh, which uh, linked Namibia from Katimalele after the Golden Highway, mm. which has beautifully mm. been rebuilt, and then the beautiful Shusheki Road that's been mm. built in recent times, unrecognizable mm. from the trauma we used to go through mm. in the 80s mm. to get along those roads and to get across the mm. Shusheki Ferry. Well, you, you know, like, and to put in, throw another federation country there into the mix, okay, so what what has happened in Zambia and Malawi is that they have um, managed to remove their governments. Um, you know, so Peacefully. the, the yeah, UNIP was voted Zambia. out mm-hmm. in 1991 and the MMD came in. And in Zambia and in, in, in Malawi had a similar scenario where Banda lost power. Both Banda and, uh, and Kawinda had put it to the electorate. Did they still want a one-party state? Well, they didn't. Okay. And so both when they put it to the electorate, lost power. And um, peaceful transition transition. is pretty rare. Yeah. And then um, in 2011, uh, Michael Sata, um, through his uh, Patriotic Front Party, in his fourth attempt at uh, trying to win the presidency, then managed to defeat the incumbent, um, Rupia Banda, uh, who had had followed Levi Monawasa. So... As we, as some people may or may not know, Sata died in office, as did Mwanawasa, and he was replaced by Guy Scott, this um, white Zambian man for of Scottish descent. Of Scottish descent, mm. so he could never be because there was no law um, that was brought in the Chiluba period, whereby they were trying to disqualify KK from ever coming back again, and KK had Malawian parents. So if you're and this the Lord gone through Parliament, so if your parents are foreign as such, you mm. can't have a crack at the presidency. Um, so what happened was there was a there was a little bit of a coup within the Patriotic Front Party, and Edgar Lungu came to the fore, and um, he was re-elected. Uh, uh, sorry, he he then took over as president. They had an election, the PF won again, and the next election was lined up for twenty twenty one next year. There's a lot of people who don't like um, his leadership style and feel that he's put Zambia even deeper into debt and that he's you know, but. Unfortunately, the opposition is a guy called HH, um, uh, and he, his party is seen as being quite tribalistic, uh, and um, that if they won power, they would take the balance of power towards the southern province. So um, that hasn't endeared them to the you know the the more populous north, the Copper Belt, and the eastern eastern mm. province. Um, then you turn to to little old Malawi, okay, always the smallest part of the federation, the supplier of labour. To both South Africa and uh, and the mines and migrant and, uh, workers, yes, migrant lots. workers, mm-hmm. little Malawi still ticking along there. You know, quite steady. The exchange rate's been seven hundred kwacha to the US dollar for the last four years or so. And once again, you saw another peaceful change of power um, when Lazarus Chikwera, uh, Reverend, um, uh, won the election, um, much against uh, the expectations of. Um, of the incumbents who hadn't done their homework because, you know, you always say you don't lose an election in Africa because generally what happens, they come after you. you know? um, when things start to go wrong for themselves, they they start pointing the finger. Always nice to blame the, the previous administration. Yeah, of course. Well, we know that happens quite a lot. Well, it's very convenient. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yes, but we, and then coming back to Zimbabwe, well, that hasn't happened. You know, ZANU-PF have been in power since 1980. 40 years yeah. and counting. And um, you despite know, in many cases 
people have said they've actually lost the election, mm. such as in 2008, 2009, and yet they somehow mm. stay in power. Uh, so Many so people I, say that they've lost the election since uh, 2000, but um, yes. you have a opposition there that unfortunately has not been able to... Um, to look like a meaningful um, replacement. And, and, and unfortunately, what's happened is when people have voted for the MDC, they voted against Arnie PF. You know, it's not, a, it's not an overriding endorsement. Um, they, yes, I don't think I need to go into it that much, but um, as we know, the coup that wasn't a coup um, that took place in November 2017 and saw the removal of Robert Mugabe, there was great hope when Nagwa um, um, took, took over. And unfortunately, that has waned as as uh, as time's gone by, because you know you can see where the, the exchange rate's gone. For example, you know you have had a, you've you've you know the the, the rate has moved by a factor of you know eight thousand theoretically, mm. um, and uh, you know eight hundred times, and that just kind of shows that uh, you know. They could go and blame the previous uh, government, but there has been um, off-balance sheet expenditure again, um, quasi-fiscal expenditure, as we call it, uh, that the government there hasn't owned up to. Well, if I could ask a couple of questions on, on this here too, because as a missionary who regularly travels across these countries and works in these areas, uh, you can't help but notice, first of all, that more than half the population of Zimbabwe's fled. Mm. We've got probably as many Zimbabweans this side of the border as there are in Zimbabwe. That's never good when people vote with their feet mm. against the country. Unemployment is at what rate mm. in Zimbabwe now? Well, you know, the opposition will always say it's at 90%, but I would actually, and this would sound, um, some people would question this, but you don't find a lot of, of, of loafers in Zim. You know, people are doing something generally, you know, whether they're in the informal sector. So certainly since, you know, employment, official and formal employment is lower than it was in 1965, and of course the population has quadrupled. Mm. So that's a fact, you know, but people are involved in the informal sector. Um, the most recent data that came out about a week ago shows that the average Zimbabwean survived on one US dollar 15 um, per day uh, in September. Um, but, um, you know, they... So, so people are people are involved in the informal sector, you know, whether it's selling airtime or selling oranges yes. or bananas or whatever, you but, know, there, there's... But the formal economy The formal economy, yeah, but, but, and you've got this, unfortunately, a little bit in Central Africa where the government sort of, you know, knows that um, uh, informal employment is, is where the votes are. And they tend to overly bully and overly regulate, you know, the formal the formal industry, and come down harder on them for for tax. I mean, for example, a friend of mine, um, even though Gilby's uh, sorry Gordon's gin is manufactured in South Africa, they said no, this is London dry gin, so you must pay, you know, you're and you know it's like no guys, come on, you know, let's let's. That is a bit on the ridiculous side. Now, how is it that? Zimbabwe, which is so rich in agricultural potential, needs to import uh, millions of tons mm. of food aid. I mean, how yeah, so on earth? since since two thousand and nine, I mean, they were importing generally about a billion US dollars, so like fifteen billion rands worth of 
grain every year, largely from South Africa. So it benefits South Africa. A lot of a lot of the bad things that have happened there have um, have had a, an effect on benefiting South Africa. I mean, you know, of course, you guys don't want the whole influx of foreigners here, but you've got a first class waiter now, um, <laughs> who uh, you know. So uh, again. Um, Zimbabwe's got to import, but surely mm. they can't afford to import. So who's paying for this? Well, what what happens is, and this is, uh, so on average, Zimbabwe, um, uh, the imports per year are sort of in the region. Well, they were when it was at its peak of about $7 billion a year. And um, mineral exports probably, um, which is still the largest, uh, you know, combination of gold and then chrome and, you know, um, platinum, we're the second biggest producer in the world. Um, those those uh, those exports used to be in the order of three and a half billion. Um, the diaspora, so all those people who are down here, all those people who have gone to the UK, all those people who have gone to Australia, I always used to call it the Fidel Castro model. You drive these people offshore and then you survive on the remittances. So, right. so everybody, you know, like I've often said that people in Zimbabwe are not uncomfortable enough to do something about it because if there's a problem they don't go and protest they'll like they do in south africa they just send a text to london and say send and me some money services help. yeah so now, so that's a billion and a half and then you've right. got all this ngo money you know what i mean all the all these you know so yes. so that's what UN gives them the um balance of payments well you know the 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 foreign receipts that allow for the importation of... Uh, Would it be unfair to call it a parasitic economy where the government isn't actually allowing much to be genuinely produced, but they're managing to tax what uh, others are doing? So it's not coming from production, productivity yeah. as much as from parasitical taxes. Mm, no, absolutely. And I mean, you know, there's... Uh, so one of the um, taxes that they... that that That, you know, is is has been imposed in the past years this on um uh, it's called imit it's uh taxing money transfer uh, you know um when you swipe two mm. percent of the of that turnover then of, of that so if you go to the supermarket and you swipe with your every card transaction. every transaction two percent if you transfer money two percent or whatever it's 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 a uh, it's um it's 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 too much in the first place right. You know, um, and yes, the because the economy isn't formalised, you could have that argument that it's a way of broadening the tax net, but it should be one percent. You know, now, now um, having having said all that, the Central African Federation was an economic powerhouse that didn't need foreign aid mm. and was producing the cheapest electricity through Kariba. Mm. And you know, you think of so what went wrong when you had this phenomenal growth back. Uh, in the 50s and 60s, mm. even the 70s, if you go into the southern Rhodesia mm. side, what went wrong? Well, I think it was bad. Um, well, you know, like what happened in, in, in Zambia was it's quite well documented. Independence, uh, 64. Um, KK delivers what's called the Mulingushi Declaration in 1968, whereby he suggests that they're going to nationalize. And by 1974, everything is nationalized. And so from 1974 until he loses power in 1991, you know, Zambia continues just to, you know, deteriorate. Um, and yet it, it was economically the strongest part of the federation, wasn't it? Certainly in terms of production from the copper mines, but southern Rhodesia had stronger agriculture and stronger industry, which of course were a result of Kariba. Um, you know, cheap electricity coming out of... Uh, I mean, know, that, that was really the key. That was the key. And so 
you know, and as so uh, end of Federation 63, UDI, Smith goes on his own. Um, and from 68 to 74, they enjoy double-digit um, growth rates, which are only seen again, as I say, in 2011. Um, uh, the final years of the war, um, the economy obviously started to go back with increased migration. 1980... Total sanctions. Total sanctions. Terrorism, the whole lot of things really undermined it, yes. Robert Mugabe takes over in 1980, um, uh, seems hugely conciliatory, uh, talks about turning swords into plowshares, um, the 80s weren't a great period, though. Um, although people with rose-tinted spectacles look back at it and think, "Oh no, this was a was a was a was a good time," because we had forex shortages, we had the issue of the dissidents, the Kurahundi, all of these unsaid things. Massacres, been Ma- massacres, yeah. Um, and then you know, as the uh, um, IMF pushed for this economic structural adjustment program, ESAP, towards the end of the 80s, mostly implement, implemented between 91 to 94. We then saw, um, you know, strong growth again uh, from 94 through to 97 when the Zimbabwe dollar collapsed after, as the war in in Congo started to escalate, backed by the Zimbabweans, and um, these unbudgeted payments were made to the war veterans. Um, And then we come to 2000 when the farm seizures started after um, the... The launch of... Movement for multi-party democracy. Uh, in, Seem- no, that's uh, Zambia. So MDC. Sorry, MDC. Yeah. Movement for democratic yeah, change. change in, yeah. in this. It seemed that it was straight off the MDC did spectacularly well at the polls that uh, there was suddenly we're going to hit the farms mm. who were seen as maybe a support base. It, it, yeah, and, th- and that's where the farmers were. I now say they were foolish. I've told them they were foolish. You know, they... Um, uh, but anyway, that's that's now hearsay. Um, sorry, hindsight. And, you know, you can... You can have all the answers with that, but but that was economic suicide. Yeah, it, it was, but you know, it's eco- but it was eco- economic suicide. But maybe that wasn't the aim because you know the population started to immigrate, and you're still in power at the end of it. So you've right. got to ask yourself what what your aim was, you know. And I think Robert Mugabe is an was an accomplished politician. I think you'd struggle to find somebody who. Right. Who, uh, More than a survivor. Yeah, no, clever. At everyone um, else's expense. Yeah, um, yeah. So Zambia did spectacularly well, especially under Levi Mwanawasa, mm. when they actually managed to increase the value of the kwacha against mm. the dollar, which Correct, yeah. hadn't been seen before. Um, I actually met Levi Mwanawasa shortly after that, and I congratulated okay. him. He said, oh, you mustn't congratulate me, you must thank Mugabe. And I said, what? Mm. He said, yes, all the farmers he chased out, mm. I invited mm. hundreds of them here. And he says, they've helped mm. us to feed ourselves mm. and export. Mm. And so now and that is able true. to strengthen yeah. its That, that is true, you know, like, and you've seen that, you know, in, in terms of... Um, in terms of agricultural um, production, it's 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 exponentially increased, um, and you know a combination, of course, of the subsistence guys. But there's big expansions of um, of grain production have taken place, you know, around Choma and Mukushi, and then um, you know Zambia sugar was always going in uh, in Mazabuka. Um, and you've had the other industries come in dairy and all of those that they have, um, you know, that they're able to. And so, so actually the prices of goods in Zambia in real terms, in my view, and I've been going to Zambia quite regularly now for 20 years, it's cheaper there. 
Mm. You know, you're, you're, you don't have to import your UHT milk from South Africa anymore because you can have fresh milk in the, in the shops if need be. And any excess you have, like Zimbabwe had, Zimbabwe used to produce 250 million litres of milk a year. Well, production this year will be 70 million, not even a quarter. They used to export, okay. you know, to Congo mm. and everywhere else. So really, we've got a tale of two economies comparing between um, south of Zambezi, north of Zambezi, old northern Rhodesia, southern Rhodesia, Zambia and Zimbabwe, mm. and extraordinary how they've risen and fallen almost mm. uh, in contrast to one another, uh, depending on the economic policies. Exactly, exactly. And the politics too. Sadly, politics affects the economy. We've got one minute left. Uh, please, Jonathan, tell us more about your books and how people can get in touch with you or get hold of your books. You've written this phenomenal uh, a photo history of Harare, which is a magnificent book, a thousand pictures. Mm. Wow. Uh, so um, how can people get hold of you and get hold of your sure. books? Sure. Um, well, uh, as we said on the last program, Les Martins uh, at, at SA Media. Um, so his email address is les at sa-media, sorry, sa-media-services.coza. That's les at uh, sa-media-services.coza. Excellent. And uh, email for you? John Waters at yahoo.com. I'd love to hear people's stories about, because um, uh, as I say, the Kariba book and even the Harari book to a um, certain degree is, there's a lot of social history in there. And that's spelled J-O-N-O-W-A-T-E-R-S at yahoo.com. J-O-N-O-W-A-T-E-R-S at yahoo.com. Thanks so much, Jonathan. And if anybody had trouble getting hold, get hold of Africa Christian Action uh, info at christianaction.org.ca and we will put you in touch. Excellent to get hold of the books, Harari and Kariba. Thanks so much, Jonathan. God bless and good night.